Hi, ParCast listeners. It's Vanessa with some incredible news. You can purchase your copy of our book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them, available now at parcast.com slash cults. Cults is an expanded look at the people who led and followed the most radical groups in history, with an unflinching exploration into what happens when the most vulnerable recesses of the mind are twisted into the lowest forms of malevolence. Details not featured on our podcasts. We're so proud to bring you this fantastic compilation of stories, and we're forever grateful for your support. Without you, none of this would be possible, so thank you. Visit parcast.com slash cults to order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. That's parcast.com slash cults to order today. Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence and murder. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Kim Iloilo dragged herself out of bed and stumbled towards the door. She opened up to find her friend, Krista Pike, practically bouncing off the walls. Although it was nearly 11 p.m., Krista had some big news to share. Kim figured it must be important by the way her friend was acting. She half expected to see an engagement ring on Krista's finger. She was that giddy. And sure enough, Krista held out what looked like a rock, but it sure didn't sparkle. Sensing Kim's confusion, Krista grinned and dropped the bomb. It was a bone, a human bone. Kim burst out laughing. Krista had to be joking. She listened with her mouth open as Krista told her where the bone came from. And suddenly, the whole thing was a lot less funny. Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a Spotify original from Parcast. In the legal definition, a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Last week, we followed Krista Pike as she enrolled in a Job Corps program, hoping to turn over a new leaf. In Knoxville, she met two people who would change her life forever, to Daryl Shipp and Colleen Slemmer. This week, the drama between the teens continues to escalate. When Krista reaches her boiling point, Colleen becomes the target of her pent-up rage. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. 
That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. 19-year-old Colleen Slimmer came back from Christmas break feeling refreshed. Two weeks with family far from the Knoxville Job Corps Center was exactly what she needed. She hoped things would mellow out soon, especially when it came to Krista Pike. The situation between the two had gotten even worse leading up to the holidays. But now, Colleen was hopeful they could finally make up and move on with their lives. Unfortunately, Krista was not on the same page. Her vacation had been anything but relaxing. With an alcoholic mom and a physically abusive dad, home had never been a safe place. Krista had been counting the minutes until she was back in Knoxville with her friends, and most importantly, her boyfriend, 17-year-old to Daryl Ship. But being on campus meant coming back to all the drama. Despite what Colleen might have wished for, Krista still wasn't over her fling with Daryl. Although he denied it, the truth was that he and Colleen had hooked up. According to Tadaryl, he made it clear to Colleen that it was a one-time thing, but she wouldn't take no for an answer. When he spoke to Krista about it, he made it sound like she was harassing him. Krista took it as a threat and kept a watchful eye over Colleen, tracking her movements almost obsessively. Before we get into some psychology, please note, I'm not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but we have done a lot of research for the show. The idea that someone is out to get you, also known as a persecutory belief, is a hallmark of paranoia. According to a later study by Dr. Daniel Freeman, Krista's persistent fear that Colleen wanted to take to Daryl from her fits a pattern of paranoid thoughts. Her increasing anxiety about the feud put a strain on her relationship with Daryl. While she worried about Colleen, he made it apparent that he didn't appreciate her nagging questions. As the semester continued, things between them felt more tenuous than ever. And in Krista's mind, this was all Colleen's fault. She thought Colleen wanted to drive a wedge between her and Daryl, then swoop in and snatch him up for herself. So, not long into 1995, Tensions between her and Krista were at an all-time high. They couldn't even pass each other in the halls without posturing and name-calling. Everyone on campus knew they were sworn enemies. Then one day in January, Krista returned to her room to find her belongings destroyed. Someone had taken a blade to her clothes, leaving them in tatters. A few things were missing and more were broken. When Krista caught sight of her photo albums, her heart dropped into the pit of her stomach. The pictures in one of them were completely shredded. In the second, Krista's face had been burned out with what appeared to be a lit cigarette. But most upsetting of all were the ruined images of her beloved Grandma Delpha. Out of everything she owned, those were the most valuable to her. They were all she had left of the person she'd loved most, and now they were gone forever. Stuff like this happened all the time in the dorms, and the reality was it could have been anyone. But Krista only had one suspect, Colleen. She was convinced it was her and no one could tell her otherwise. According to Krista, 
she heard that Colleen bragged about ransacking her room to other Job Corps students. Krista told to Daryl it was the last straw. She fumed as she paced around his room. If Colleen couldn't respect her privacy, Krista was going to make her pay. For his part, Tadaryl tried to calm her down. He agreed Colleen needed to learn a lesson, but he begged Krista to be smart about it. She'd already been written up a number of times, mostly for getting caught in his room. They both knew she couldn't afford to get in any more trouble. That meant Krista couldn't just jump Colleen in the hallway. They'd have to take things off campus. We don't know whose idea it was to lure Colleen to nearby Tyson Park, but that's the location they settled on. At 25 acres, there were plenty of secluded areas. Plus, it would be almost deserted at night. And although Tadaryl supported Krista, he decided it would be better if he didn't come along. Just the thought of watching her square up with Colleen put him on edge. They decided to ask another friend, Shadala Peterson, to go with Krista in case she needed backup. The plan was in place, but next came the hard part. For their scheme to work, Krista would have to make nice with her mortal enemy. Which actually turned out to be a lot easier than anyone expected. All it took was a few days of laying low for Colleen to think the storm had passed. When Krista approached her on Thursday, January 12th, Colleen was surprised. Krista said she and some friends were walking to Blockbuster to rent a movie and wondered if Colleen wanted to come. Colleen hesitated. It was totally out of character, but she'd hoped the invitation signaled the end of their battle. Maybe Krista was as sick of the vendetta as she was. Colleen agreed and they arranged to meet in the parking lot at 8 p.m., Krista smiled to herself as she turned away from Colleen. The route to the video store took them past the entrance to the park. Once there, Krista would make up an excuse to go inside. The trap was officially set. A few hours later, Krista and Shadala waited for Colleen under the yellow glow of a street lamp. At the last minute, Tadaryl's nerves got the better of him and he joined the duo too. If anything happened to Krista and he wasn't there, he'd never forgive himself. Colleen came bounding up right around eight, looking happy as a clam. Krista couldn't believe she didn't suspect anything. But then again, maybe she was just that good of an actress. The foursome reached Tyson Park within minutes. As if she'd just remembered, Krista slowed to a stop in front of the entrance and said she had some weed stashed in the bushes. If Colleen wanted, they could go smoke before picking up the DVDs. Without waiting for Colleen to answer, Krista and Shadala headed into the darkness. Colleen didn't want to jeopardize the newfound peace, so she followed behind with Tadaryl. Pretty soon, the landscaped fields and picnic areas gave way to a forest. They emerged onto a paved bike path that led them deeper and deeper into the trees. Krista's heart pumped so furiously that she hardly felt the winter air on her skin. Meanwhile, Colleen lagged behind, wondering where they were heading. It felt like they'd been wandering around the park for a while with no destination in mind. Eventually, she stopped and asked Krista what the deal was. 
she'd started to suspect there wasn't any weed after all. Krista snickered. Of course there wasn't. They weren't out here to make nice. Krista watched as Colleen scanned the trees for an exit. For the first time since they'd met, she finally looked nervous. When Colleen asked her what she wanted, Krista just shook her head. That should have been obvious. She wanted to know what Colleen's problem was. Why was she after the only good thing Krista ever had? Krista stared her down, a menacing expression on her face, with Tadaryl and Shadala flanking her on either side. Colleen shouted out in frustration, but her cries were cut short by Krista's fists. After taking a few blows, Colleen got mad enough to fight back. While the two of them scuffled, Tadaryl and Shadala hung back and watched. Just as he'd suspected, Tadaryl didn't like seeing Krista brawl, but it seemed like she had everything under control. She pinned Colleen to the ground and kicked her over and over. Yet even as she lay curled up in a ball, Colleen continued to taunt Krista. She warned that the second they were back on campus, she'd report Krista and send her packing. Then she suddenly sprang up and made a run for it. Colleen dashed through the trees, their shapes blurring together in the darkness. After a few minutes, she realized she was lost. All she could do was get as far away as possible from Krista. Coming up, the violence reaches the point of no return. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa. I'm so excited to tell you that our first book is on sale now. This is such a big moment for the whole ParCast family, and we can't wait for you to read it. It's called Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Join Them. And you can purchase it today by visiting parcast.com slash cults. This is a passion project years in the making and only made possible by you. With your support, we've been able to get back to our storytelling roots. This time with a wealth of research and insights under our belt and intimate details not covered on our podcast before. Shame, exploitation, power. Cults unfolds the many motives behind groups like Nexium, Heaven's Gate, The People's Temple, and more, revealing eye-opening details which will surprise even the most devoted true crime fan. Visit parcast.com cults to order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Join Them. That's parcast.com cults. And on behalf of everyone here at ParCast, thank you for joining us on this journey. We hope you enjoy. Now, back to the story. On the night of January 12, 1995, Colleen Slemmer ran through Knoxville's Tyson Park, desperate to get away from Krista Pike. As she moved through the darkened woods, she lost her footing and found herself face first in the muck. She looked up to see Tadaryl's ship. He'd taken her legs out from under her like a linebacker. Before long, Krista caught up to them. With her eyes trained on Colleen, she instructed Tadaryl to knock her out. He took Colleen's head in his large hands, slamming it against the ground with all his might. But the strike only dazed her. Colleen continued to struggle as Krista and Tadaryl dragged her back to the clearing they'd come from. 
Colleen's last jab had hit a nerve with Krista. The only thing that scared her as much as losing to Daryl was getting kicked out of the program. Her future depended on completing Job Corps, and Colleen knew it. Panic mixed with rage and adrenaline. Now this was about more than just scaring Colleen. Krista wanted to hurt her. She brought out the box cutter from her jacket pocket and slashed Colleen across the stomach. Colleen doubled over as she cried out in pain. Even in the moonlight, the bloom of red on her sweater was clear as day. For a moment, Krista froze in shock. She couldn't believe what she'd just done, but there was no going back. If Colleen told anyone what she'd done, Krista wouldn't just get kicked out of the program, she'd probably be sent to prison. Worst of all, she'd never see to Daryl again. She couldn't decide what to do next. Meanwhile, Shadala only added to the noise. She panicked, shouting that they couldn't let Colleen go. They were in too much trouble. Krista then turned to Daryl, unsure of how to proceed. In his face, she saw the same turmoil she felt. Then his expression turned to shock. Krista spun around just in time to see Colleen disappear into the trees. She scanned the ground for a large rock and hurled it toward her enemy. It hit Colleen square in the back, knocking her off balance. She fell to the ground, hard. Krista and Tadaryl took a leg each and dragged her back to where Shadala Peterson waited. By that point, Colleen was a wreck, covered in dirt and leaves and breathing heavily. She was getting weaker by the second. Running wasn't an option anymore. She told Krista that she wasn't after Tadaryl, but she knew who was. Shadala piped up warning Krista not to fall for it, and Krista dismissed the idea as an obvious ploy. It was the last trick Colleen had up her sleeve, and it clearly wasn't working. That only left one option. Colleen dropped the tough girl act and started to beg. She promised not to return to the Job Corps campus if they let her go. She'd find a way home to Florida that night, and they'd never hear from her again. Krista rolled her eyes. She couldn't believe Colleen thought she was that stupid. Her pleas were insulting. As Krista grew angrier, the world faded into the background. She could see Colleen's mouth moving, but no longer heard the sound of her voice. A familiar floating feeling came over her. Psychologist who later interviewed Krista identified this as a dissociative episode When a person dissociates, they disconnect from reality in an attempt to protect themselves from trauma. It's an involuntary response that's often a symptom of PTSD. Looking down at Colleen, it's possible Krista thought back to her own unanswered cries for help over the years. As the memories flooded her mind, she repeatedly struck Colleen with the box cutter. The violence stunned Shadala, who faded quietly into the background. Krista continued to attack as Colleen stumbled around, feebly attempting to run. Her resistance only made Krista more upset. To stop her from moving, she ordered Colleen to strip from the waist up. Apparently unperturbed, Tadaryl tossed Colleen's jacket and sweater to the side. 
Then Krista brought out a weapon to end it all, a small meat cleaver she'd borrowed from another student. She cut Colleen's torso again and slashed her throat, but even then, Colleen was still making noise. Krista took a scrap of cloth from around her wild brown curls and tied it around Colleen's mouth. Tadaryl stepped forward to help secure the gag. It was clear to Tadaryl that Colleen wouldn't survive. Overcome by a sudden twisted idea, he took the box cutter from Krista. He cut loose what was left of Colleen's bra and used the razor to carve a pentagram into her bare chest. Finally, he added a few more wounds to Colleen's body. Despite enduring nearly 45 minutes of pure torture, Colleen was still alive, just barely. Krista watched her take ragged breaths in disbelief. To Daryl handed her a large chunk of asphalt he'd broken loose from the bike path. Krista stood over Colleen, the stone held high above her head. She brought it down as hard as she could, bludgeoning Colleen again and again. Tadaryl called out to stop, but Krista couldn't seem to control herself. She struck Colleen until her skull caved in. Shadala watched wide-eyed as Krista and Tadaryl dragged Colleen's body off the path and into some brush. Before they left, Krista picked up a small piece of Colleen's skull and tucked it into her jacket pocket. The trio wound their way out of the park toward campus, stopping at a gas station to clean up. They'd hardly said two words to each other the entire time, but when the building came into view, Tadaryl stopped. He warned Shadala not to tell anyone what they'd just done. Though she was still in shock, she managed to nod in agreement. After what she'd just seen, Shadala was terrified of the couple. No way she would risk getting on their bad side. As a group approached the dorms, some students loitered in the parking lot. Trying to act casual, they managed to slip by, mostly unnoticed. They'd almost made it to the door when one of Krista's friends spotted her and asked what happened to her pants. Colleen's blood had soaked them through completely. That, coupled with a layer of thick mud, gave them an almost black color. Krista froze for a second, then recited the lines she'd been practicing in her head. She grimaced and said she fell in some mud. Her friend and a few others laughed, but didn't ask any more questions. Krista caught up to Tadaryl and Shadala, and they headed inside. After that, the group split up to their rooms to shower and change. Left on her own, Krista was too wound up to think about sleep. So she bounded down the hall to pay a visit to her friend Kim Iloilo. Kim could tell something was up as soon as Krista stepped inside. Unable to help herself, Krista spilled the entire story. She went so far as to show Kim the bit of bone she'd taken. Kim knew Krista had been fantasizing about getting back at Colleen, but this seemed too extreme, even for her. Then again, Krista's story was so detailed and the bone. All of a sudden, Kim announced she was tired and hurried Krista out of her room. Once Krista was gone, she thought about what to do. Part of her wanted to tell someone, 
but she started to think that Krista was just pulling her leg. And if it was actually true, she didn't want to end up like Colleen. In the end, she decided to keep her mouth shut. But Kim wasn't the only person Krista told about her evening. In class the next morning, she showed another friend the piece of Colleen's skull. She bragged that the spots on her shoes weren't mud. They were human blood. No one knew whether or not to take Krista seriously. Kids were constantly making up things to seem tough, and Krista loved to shock people. But as the day wore on, Colleen's classmates started to realize they hadn't seen her since yesterday. It could have been a weird coincidence. Or maybe her disappearance had something to do with Krista after all. As rumors about Colleen spread through campus, Krista got curious herself. She couldn't stop thinking about the body. She wondered if the police had found it yet and if they could figure out what happened. She decided the only way to get answers was to see for herself. She knew Tadaryl would try to stop her, so she invited some other friends along to Tyson Park. She took the lead, walking with purpose. When she led her friends to an active crime scene, it became clear that Krista had an ulterior motive. Cops swarmed the bike path, black uniforms dotting the area as far as the eye could see. A string of bright yellow tape blocked the woods. While her friends murmured nervously, Krista walked right up to the nearest officer and asked what was going on. The policeman had been fending off curious bystanders all day, giving the same non-answer to everyone who asked. There was a body, but the victim was unidentified and there were no suspects at this time. Krista tried to get a better look at what lay beyond the yellow tape to no avail. Eventually, she gave up and left the park with the others. Daryl spotted them returning to campus and pulled Krista aside. We don't know the specifics. However, witnesses reported the conversation was tense. It's likely that Tadaryl warned Krista to keep her mouth shut and stay away from the crime scene. He was right, of course, but the truth was the police had very little to go on and the investigation was moving at a glacial pace. Colleen's body was reported to Knoxville PD around 8 o'clock that morning. By 8.30, Detective Randy York of the Major Crimes Unit was on the scene. It was a grisly crime. The body was so badly mutilated that investigators could only tell the victim was female because of her exposed chest. Detectives estimated she was anywhere between 18 and 22 years old. Since she'd been found so close to the University of Tennessee campus, they guessed she'd been a student. Still, that didn't do much to narrow down the list of potential victims or point toward a motive. The only real clue York had was the pentagram carved in the victim's chest. In the days ahead, it would become more important than he ever could have imagined. Coming up, Investigators pick up a trail. Now, back to the story. In the pre-dawn hours of January 14, 1995, Detective Randy York got a break in his latest case. He'd told his fellow officers to keep an ear out for news about satanic activity in Knoxville. 
It seemed like a long shot, but at 2.30 a.m., the station actually found something. A concerned mom had called in to complain about the local Job Corps program. On its own, that wasn't unusual. Knoxville PD had been receiving calls like this for years. The poorly funded public program had a terrible reputation in the community, and residents were constantly grumbling about it. This complaint was different, though. It involved the magic word. Apparently, the woman's daughter, who we'll call Faith, was a Job Corps student herself. She'd called her mother terrified about her classmate's interest in Satanism. York was shocked. None of the details about the crime scene had been released to the press yet. There was no way the woman, or her daughter, could have known about the pentagram carved into Colleen's chest. And the Job Corps campus was near the park where the body had been found. Either this was an eerie coincidence, or this student held the key to York's entire investigation. By 4.30 that same morning, he came knocking on Faith's door. When he asked her about Satanism on campus, she got visibly nervous. If the people involved knew she ratted them out to the cops, she'd be in serious danger. York suggested they go to the station to talk, a safe distance away from the dorms. Once there, Faith opened up. The students York wanted were Krista Pike and Tadaryl Ship. Probably Shadala Peterson, too. Not only were they into some dark stuff, but Krista had been bragging about a supposed murder for the last few days. It must have seemed almost too easy for the veteran detective. Just yesterday, he had nothing to go on. Today, three suspects happened to fall into his lap. However, he knew better than to dismiss anything, especially so early on in an investigation. So he returned to the Job Corps campus and checked the student logbook. Sure enough, the same three people Faith identified had signed out and signed back in on the night of Thursday, January 12th. He scanned further down the list and saw another student had also left that evening, though the sign-in column was left blank, Colleen Slimmer. After discovering that Colleen had never returned to her dorm, York's investigation shot to warp speed. In just a matter of hours, he'd crack the case wide open. Shortly after he checked the logs, Krista, Tadaryl, and Shadala were taken into custody. At the precinct, Krista was the first to be interviewed. York sat opposite her and marveled at how innocent Krista seemed. With her sweet southern drawl and cherub cheeks, she came across as even younger than 18. But his impression changed completely once York asked her about the body they'd found in Tyson Park. Krista agreed to give a statement so long as she didn't have to name anyone who was with her. York nodded his consent and turned on the recording device on the table between them. Krista recounted Thursday evening's events as if she was talking about an exciting vacation. Her bubbly voice was so at odds with the disturbing details that York was taken aback. In his 25 years as an investigator, he'd never seen anything like it. He had no idea that Krista was likely in the throes of a hypomanic episode. She hadn't been diagnosed with bipolar disorder yet, 
but abnormally high energy levels and excessive chattiness are two common symptoms. That might explain why she seemed downright excited about the heinous things she'd done to Colleen. Still, when York asked her whether the crime had been bothering her, she said, yes, it weighed on her very much. York wasn't sure he believed that last part. The whole thing left a bad taste in his mouth. Thankfully, he had time to process what Krista had told him before moving on to his next suspect. Since Tadaryl was still 17, the department needed permission from his parents to talk to him. It took a few hours, but eventually the interview was underway. Although Krista had attempted to protect him, it didn't make a difference. Tadaryl was just as forthcoming as she'd been. He readily admitted to carving the pentagram into Colleen's chest, which he explained was a sacrifice to the devil. York noted that Tadaryl seemed more excited about the satanic elements than the murder itself. Even so, he didn't appear to be any more remorseful than Krista. According to later interviews with Tadaryl, he was still in shock at the time. For the past two days, his thoughts had run in circles as he tried to come to grips with what they'd done. Sitting in the police interrogation room, it finally sank in. York left Tadaryl staring into the distance with a blank expression on his face. It was time to speak to his final suspect. Shadala Peterson at least seemed appropriately exhausted, as if the murder had been keeping her up at night. Her story lined up with the others, except that she vehemently denied taking part in the murder. With the interviews complete, York knew he had Colleen's killers. All three teens were booked on murder charges. And officers found all the concrete proof they needed among Krista and Tadaryl's things. The murder weapons were tucked into the bottom of Tadaryl's locker. The jeans Krista had worn that night were right where she'd said they'd be barely hidden in the top of her closet, and both rooms had at least a few satanic artifacts. Based on how easy it was to recover the evidence against them, this clearly hadn't been some mastermind criminal plot. And by Sunday, January 15th, just three days after Colleen's murder, it had become national news. The occult aspects of the story made for prime pickings by the tabloids, In 1995, the country was just coming down from the satanic panic of the previous decade. People were still highly sensitive to crimes that were vaguely related to the dark arts, and here was one committed by two self-proclaimed devil worshippers. On top of that, Knoxville residents had been looking for a reason to drive Job Corps out of their city for years now. Although the statistics for crimes committed by University of Tennessee students were higher, the outcry against the public program was louder. Many saw the students as nothing more than criminals. Headlines about the quote, Job Corps murder didn't help. The story stayed in the spotlight as the first of the killers appeared in court on January 16th. The state wanted to prosecute to Daryl's ship as an adult, but the judge denied their motion. This meant he wouldn't be eligible for the death penalty at the time of his trial. Shadala was in similar circumstances with her pretrial proceedings. 
Since she was only charged with accessory to murder, authorities released her into her family's custody on a $100,000 bond. Krista, however, faced the full wrath of the justice system. Her bond was revoked and she remained in jail for the duration of her trial. In preparation for her defense, she was given a proper psychological evaluation and treatment for the first time in her life. In May of 1995, Dr. Eric Ingham visited her in prison. He diagnosed her as having severe borderline personality disorder with paranoid ideation. The defense presented this to the jury as well as testimony from Krista's family about her childhood trauma, but it wasn't enough to spare her from a guilty verdict. In March of 1996, 20-year-old Krista Pike was convicted of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. She was sentenced to death by electric chair for the first charge, plus 25 years for the second. At the time of her conviction, she was the youngest person on death row in the United States. Months later, Shadala Peterson pleaded guilty to accessory to murder and walked away with six years probation. To Darrell's day in court came the following year. His charges were the same as Krista's, but because he was tried as a juvenile, the death penalty was off the table. He was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison plus 25 years for the conspiracy charge. Since her conviction, Krista has lived in an eight by 10 concrete cell at the Tennessee Prison for Women. Alone 23 hours of the day, it's essentially solitary confinement. Her attorneys have tried to appeal her sentence multiple times over the years. In June of 2002, against their advice, Krista withdrew everything and told the courts she was ready to die. Her execution was set for that August, but by July, her lawyers and family were able to talk her out of it. The move was likely brought on by depression associated with her mental illness. While in prison, Krista has continued to receive the therapy and treatment she so desperately needed as a child. After seeing multiple psychiatrists, her eventual diagnosis was bipolar 2 disorder, dissociation, and PTSD. Using brain imaging technology, neurologists discovered damage to Krista's frontal lobe. This was likely caused by the heavy drinking her mother did while pregnant. The impacted area is responsible for executive function and decision-making. This meant Krista had even less self-control than the average teenager at the time she killed Colleen. Krista has given many interviews over the years. She's never denied that her actions that day in 1995 were inexcusable. She acknowledged that no matter how badly she might wish it, she can never undo the pain she's caused. Despite the evidence of brain trauma in utero and recent discussions about the ethics of the death penalty, her appeals have been unsuccessful. As of 2022, Krista Pike is the last woman awaiting execution in Tennessee. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We'll be back next week with another episode. For more information on Krista Pike, we found A Love to Die For by Patricia Springer helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. 
Crimes of Passion is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Scott Stronick, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Megan Hannum, edited by Natalie Portsovsky and Terrell Wells, fact-checked by Haley Milligan, researched by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood, and produced by Bruce Kotovich. I'm Lainey Hobbs. Listeners, remember to visit parcast.com slash cults to order your copy of our first book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. It's on sale today, and I can't wait for you to dive in. Nexium, The Branch Davidians, Heaven's Gate, and more. Cults takes you beyond the headlines for an intimate look at the sordid beginnings and deadly ends of the most radical groups in history. Details never heard on our show before. If you love our cult series or any of our true crime podcasts, this book is for you. Without your loyalty and support, none of this would be possible. So we truly hope you enjoy. Visit parcast.com slash cults to order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. It's on sale and ready to read right now. Order today at parcast.com slash cults. Cults.